Jill, uh, we've been bombarded by the television screen and the media, by opinions of politicians and various talking heads. But surprisingly, we've had very little input from those most qualified in infectious disease and test development, physicians, epidemiologists, virologists, and statisticians. Why is this? And do you think this is alarming? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it makes sense. I mean, I can understand that with the advent of the 24-7 news cycle, um, there's pressure for news providers to kind of keep it interesting all the time because they have to fight for eyeballs and sponsor dollars. But um, it never ceases to amaze me the way people are willing to accept medical advice from people who don't have a day of medical or scientific training. And I kind of wish they could be a little bit more humble about uh, human health and, and disease. And these are the same people who if they've got a question about their taxes, they would consult a CPA. If they are going through a divorce, they're going to use a divorce lawyer. If they've got a problem with their car, they're going to go to a mechanic. Yet some people are just really comfortable relying on politicians or reality TV show stars to get their health information. I've never really been able to wrap my head around that because, I mean, if you think about it, physicians train for over a decade. And this is after undergraduate before they're even allowed to make an independent decision about the care of a patient or a population. That's how complicated this is. Right, it is. And these are very interesting times. So even under the best of conditions, developing tests, accurately pinpointing the source of, a, of an epidemic, getting articles published in journals is a process that would take ordinarily months to even years and amidst this acceleration of the normal state of affairs, there seems to be this mad rush to testing. Now, were there concerns there with tests being developed appropriately and the appropriate patient groups being tested? In the middle of this pandemic, you know, it, it just feels like it should make sense that we need to do more testing of more people as fast as possible. Get all the barriers out of the way and are the doctors being paternalistic when they're only allowing certain people to get tested? And it's not actually paternalism. <laughs> there is actually math behind it that we're trying to prevent catastrophic personal, economic, and uh, public health implications that can come from false results. But people with, with even the basic training in test design and development understand that. But it just, it's, very, it's a statistical explanation in terms that might feel a little bit more familiar. Most people, at least most people my age, <laughs> have been pregnant. And even if you haven't, you certainly have gone through pregnancies with people and friends and family members. Part, a routine part of prenatal care, a woman gets tested to see what the chances are that her fetus, this is called a quad screen, and it um, can indicate whether or not the fetus she is carrying has Down syndrome. And so if you or your wife um, or your partner gets a positive quad screen result. What are the chances that your that fetus, your fetus, really has Down syndrome? If your quad screen comes back negative, what are the chances that your fetus really does not have Down syndrome? And I ask people, you know, can you answer that question confidently? Like, do you feel like you can just kind of gut your way through that one? And they pause because the implications for this are very personal and serious. I mean, you're you're talking about making a a family planning decision about a, you know an existing pregnancy, and and the the implications of having a false result could be quite drastic. Once I can get them to put themselves in that situation to feel how important it is to get it right, then I explain to them that it's just not as easy as a positive is a positive and a negative is a negative, because no tests are perfect and all tests have false results. And that's okay. 
so there's certainly a difference between a screening test and a diagnostic test. And it's really brought into focus in times like these. And the mantra seems to be test, 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 and we need to develop new tests and test more people. But you're saying slow down a bit, not so fast, because this is this is complicated. Yes, exactly. Especially what was making the COVID situation especially complicated is that this is an emergency pandemic. We're not able to have the usual test development safety criteria in place before it's implemented. One of the big pieces of missing information around COVID that increases the likelihood of false results is that we don't understand the prevalence of the disease in the different populations. And um, in, in the context of the quad screen, if I tell you that the woman is 24 years old, or if I tell you that the woman is 44 years old, does it change your guess at the chances that her fetus has a positive result means that her fetus has Down syndrome. And I don't know if you're still unsure, you can ask your politician <laughs> or you could ask your obstetrician, like which one should you ask? And the, and the reality is, is that an older woman is much more likely to have a Down syndrome baby than a 24 year old woman. And so it's just a matter of common things are common and rare things are rare. And so if you get a positive result, in that 24-year-old one, it's much more likely to be a false positive. There's features or characteristics of the test itself, and then there is the prevalence of the disease in the population, and those are two different things, but there's certainly an interplay between the two. Could you explain a little bit how that works, how specificity and sensitivity interacts with disease prevalence to come up with other features which are known as positive predictive value and negative predictive value? Right, which is exactly what I was getting to with that kind of quad screen example, is that how important the prevalence is in determining how many false positive results there are. So the sensitivity and specificity are very useful um, performance metrics of a test in the test development laboratory, right? Here's where I'm kind of constructing an experiment and I'm saying, ah, here's a bunch of people that I know to absolutely have the disease and a bunch of people that I absolutely know for sure don't have the disease. And then I, I see how good my test is at separating those two things, positive from negative, and I score it. That's my um, sensitivity and specificity. But in the, in the clinic, I don't know ahead of time whether or not my, my patient has the condition. If I did, I wouldn't need the test in the first place, right? So what I really wanna know is if this test result is positive, what are the chances that my patient actually has a condition? And that is the positive predictive value the negative predictive value is the opposite of that. So sensitivity and specificity really have no utility in a practical everyday clinical setting. You really wanna know the positive predictive value and negative predictive value. And that is gonna be different based on whether a, you know, for the quad screen, whether the woman is 24 years old or 44 years old. And in the context of um, COVID testing, it's gonna make a big difference about whether this patient is presenting in an ER with classic um, symptoms of COVID where, the prevalence in that condition at that state is going to be much higher than a you know otherwise completely normal asymptomatic person walking around you know in their in this case i was going to say in the community but they're not they're walking around in their house at this point but um right the the likelihood that a positive result is a true positive is much higher in that um hospitalized setting with in the right um clinical context and that's why these emergency use tests are are being used in that context like we even though we don't truly understand the prevalence the person is sick anyway so we have to take action anyway and the prevalence is going to be higher in that situation but to turn around and say now let's test everybody even if they're asymptomatic 
even though that test has got a very high likelihood of being a false positive, what action are we supposed to take either on a personal level or a public health level if we have no idea if that's a true or false positive? So we just need to do a lot more testing in a research setting um, to understand what the, the true prevalences are in these different conditions before we can do anything useful with that information. And if we act too early on that information, um, it, you know, it could have catastrophic effects for, a person, for the people, for the economy, and, and for the public health. Jill Hagencourt, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your reasoned approach in these chaotic times. We'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you.